Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Good morning, fellas. So if you open your Bibles or your Bible apps, open up to Philippians 4. Uh, And while you do that, I'll kind of give you some context on on the next five weeks we're going to spend in Philippians. So the letter to the Philippians is a letter written by a guy named Paul to the church in Philippi. Uh, What we know per scripture is that Paul uh, and the Philippian church uh, really loved each other. So in Acts 16, Paul shows up to, to Philippi. He's, he's sharing the good news uh, with those who are Gentiles and Jews alike in, in Asia, and he's, he's headed west. He shows up to Philippi, and he, he sees some converts. He, he sees some people come to the faith. He sees some people come to know who the Lord is. And then, actually, uh, he and some of his buddies are, are beaten with rods and thrown in jail. And um, some pretty cool stories come out of that. The jailer uh, ends up coming to know the Lord. So if you're, if you're interested in more of that, go read Acts 16. But what we know about Paul is that he had to, he had to leave town uh, preemptively. He had to leave town early uh, from, from a church that he really cared for and loved. What we also know about Paul is that he's writing this, this letter from prison. So as, as, you, uh, as you read the next five weeks through the letter of Philippians, remind yourself that when this guy is saying rejoice nine times, when he's talking about joy over and over and over again, the brother's writing from prison and, and probably on death row. He, he probably thinks at this time, I'm, I'm, I might not make it out of here. So uh, Paul is writing from prison. So there's, there's challenging circumstances there. Uh, on the inside of the, of the Philippian church in Philippi, there's also some issues going on. So we know that, that Paul got the, the trash beat out of him. So there are Judaizers, there's, there's Jews, and there's pagans alike who are... Um, they're attacking the church. They're persecuting ch- the church. So there's, there's outside persecution, uh, but also there's, there's some issues within the church. So one of their leaders, Epaphroditus, had gone to see Paul in prison and on his way had, had fallen deathly ill. So that's, that's one big issue. There are another two, uh, two major leaders that actually right above the verses that we'll read, Paul's saying to these two leaders, I need you to be unified. There, he's talking about there's, there's dissension within the church. And so uh, as we come to reading this letter, we need to recognize uh, the, the context that is the, the Philippian church had a lot to worry about. They had a whole lot to worry about. They, their, their leader, their church planner was imprisoned and maybe on his way to death. Another one of their leaders uh, had gone to see him and on his way there was, had fallen right to the edge of death. He was right on the brink of dying. There's, there's leadership problems within the church. The outside culture is saying, you're wrong. You're, you don't get it. You guys are, are bad. You're mistaken. You don't understand truth. So there's a lot of reasons for the, the church in Philippi to be uh, anxious, to be worried. And that, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going to start uh, in 4, verse 4, and read through 9. Uh, and then we'll, we'll chat a little bit about peace. So Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So we're talking about peace this morning and I'll throw out a a real general definition uh, to keep in your mind as we, as we talk about the word peace. So here's what peace is. Peace is confidence and trust in God's good and wise plan for your life. Confidence and trust in God's good and wise plan for your life. Uh, and we, we know the, the Philippian church has a lot of reason not to have peace, not to be at peace, uh, I think there are a lot of reasons in this room for you and I not to have peace as well. In fact, I sent out a text to uh, a pretty sizable group of guys in the room. And here are a few things I said. I just said, hey, what would you say to, what, what steals your peace? What steals your peace? And this is uh, a collection of some of the responses I got. Not all of them, but, but these, are, these are verbatim. Anxiety over health issues with my family. Fear of failing. Not being good enough. Not measuring up. Control and doubt for me, it's the devil in sheep's clothing. Worrying about tomorrow, things out of my control. Truthfully, when I feel like I've lost control of a situation, my sense of peace goes out the window. Feeling like life is all on my shoulders. Fear of the future. Uncertain of my current, or uncertainty of my current position in life. Fear that I'm stuck in my circumstances. Fear that I'll never reach my full potential. I lose peace over feeling like I have to control everything or else the Lord will forget about where I'm at and leave me out to dry. I think this one's interesting. They said that Christian expectations are what steals my peace. Fear of failure in comparison to others. Fear of being measured by my past decisions, not feeling worthy, issues financially. There's, there's a lot uh, of reasons in this room not to have peace. A lot of them. And I, I am not uh, void of that, that issue. I, I've said it from this stage before and I'll say it again. Uh, peace is something I really, really have to fight for. I, I have wrestled with anxiety uh, since man, five or six years and, and in ways that um, truthfully I never really understood. So, so the American Association of Depression and Anxiety estimates 40 million Americans wrestle with clinical anxiety. That would, that would be 40 guys in this room wrestle with, with clinical anxiety. That's not just worry and fear. We're, we are a culture that is run rampant uh, by a lack of peace. For me, it, it, comes from, it comes from doubt, truthfully. I, I wrestle with, uh, God, are you who you say you are? Are you, are you as good as you, as you claim to be? And when I don't believe that, guess what sucked right out of me? is peace. The last six months, truthfully, the last six months leading up to my ordination, Ronnie mentioned my ordination, were, were a season where peace was almost non-existent, truthfully. Not there. I, uh, I didn't... I didn't believe uh, my calling. I didn't believe who I was called to. Finally, a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, my wife said something to me that I'm, I'm so grateful for. She said, Mason, it's your fear that's keeping you from being obedient to God. It's your, it's your lack of peace that's keeping you from doing what you're supposed to do. And so I come to say this morning, I had to send a text out to 10, 12, 15 dudes in this room and say, hey, I need more prayer. I'm anxious about being on stage this morning. And that's not because... Uh, I want, to, I want to be a cool guy. What it is, is I've got fear that I won't handle this well. 
that I won't, that I won't prove God's trueness, that you will, you will judge and see, I want to impress you. I want to be uh, seen as someone who is respectable. But what I'm called to do is to come and talk about the peace of God. And I don't, here's the thing about the peace of God is I don't culminate that. I don't provide that myself. And so my prayer this morning is that we would look at scripture and that we would ask the spirit, what is the peace of God and how do I get it? Because here's what I know and what I've learned in my seasons of doubt and anxiety is that uh, God wants you to be at peace. That's whether you know him or not. God wants you to be at peace. So we got to ask the question then, why don't, why don't we have peace? Uh, I, in the text I sent to guys, I got one response that I think really, really clearly embodies one of the main reasons we don't, we don't have peace. And here's what he said. He said, there's no peace in rebellion. We've been in rebellion since the garden, since we sought control. God is in control, not man. That's why when we seek something that doesn't belong to us, we cannot find peace. Peace is found in resting in him, being God, and us being man. Him being creator and us being created. In him having control and us not rebelling, there is no peace in rebellion. Also, if you ever get a text like that, praise God. I mean, that's a, most of my texts are like, hey, hi, what are you doing? That's a, that's a pretty big text message to read. But what he's saying there is that uh, in our rebellion, here's who, here's who we've wanted to be. Walk all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. What happened? God said, if you trust me, do these things. And Adam and Eve said, I rather, I think... I'd rather be in control. I, I honestly think this isn't a bad idea to try this out. And that's what you and I have done our entire lives. The, the chaos and turmoil of the world that we contribute to is because we, we want to be God. We long for control. And so we, we take things into our own hands. And when you, take, when you put control in the hands of somebody who isn't good at controlling things, peace disappears. It dissipates. So that's one reason we don't have peace. The second reason, and this is... Uh, this, I would say, is, is more for if you're, if you're a believer. If you believe the Christian faith, if you believe in the gospel, uh, a big reason that you wouldn't have peace is, I'm going to be real supernatural here, and don't, don't lose me if you're intellectual because I'm being supernatural. But I, I believe that Satan doesn't want you to have peace. He doesn't. He doesn't want me to have peace on stage this morning. He doesn't want you to have peace at your table. And you know why? Because if, if you're at peace, you're different. You can be an agent of the gospel that people recognize, man, that dude's buoyant. Look at what's going on in his life. You can pull him down, he just pops back up. Peace brings buoyancy, right? And so uh, Satan, who can't, who can't steal you from the hand of God, Jesus says you can't steal him out of my hand. What's he going to do? He's going to do everything he, everything he can to make you as ineffective, as worthless, as useless, useless as a Christian as you could ever be by stealing your peace, your joy, your hope. So those are the two big reasons uh, that we tend to lose our peace. So my prayer this morning is that the Spirit would show us, uh, like I said, what peace is, how to find it, and to help us really believe that, that the Lord wants peace for us. So let's jump into the text. Verse 4, and we're going we're gonna to really slowly work, work through these verses, verse by verse, and look at what Paul has to say about this. Uh, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So again, put yourself in the context of, of the readers of Paul and put yourself in Paul's shoes. Paul's sitting in prison and he just bookended a sentence after he talks about turmoil with the church. Just bookends a sentence saying rejoice. Have joy. Be joyful. 
And what's cool is this isn't, there are a lot of recommendations. There are a lot of self-help books. There are a lot of ways that people would suggest you be a better guy. This, if you look at the Greek here, this is not a, uh, a gentle nudge. Hey, like, hey, you ought to try rejoicing. You think about that? That'd be, maybe that's, a, try that on for size. This is, this is a command. He's saying, rejoice. And then he says, uh, what's fun in, in this passage is you're going to see Paul paint with a really broad brush. There's, there's always, there's anything, there's everything, there's nothing. There are, there are no excuses in Paul's writing here for us not to have peace. He says, there's, there's not one excuse that you can tell me that, that, that you can say, well, man, this is why I don't have peace. So he says, rejoice always. Again, I'll say rejoice. And these three words are going to kind of be the thread of this passage. And that's rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And this is where I'd ask you to put on your introspective hats and to look into yourself for the next couple of minutes uh, and, and ask yourself, where do you rejoice? Where do you find joy? Where do you find your hope, your peace? Is it when the stock market's up? Is it when your marriage is going well? Is it when your kids are succeeding? Is it when you got a promotion? Is it when you got what you wanted? Is it when you finally made that purchase? Is it when you see your 401k doing what you hope your 401k would do? When do you rejoice? And here's the thing, those aren't bad things, right? C.S. Lewis has a really good analogy uh, for, for when we make good things ultimate things. He says we have to chase the sunbeam up to the sun. So we take good things like our marriage, good things like our family, good things like working hard and being good at our jobs, and we make them ultimate things, and we rejoice when they're good, and we, we sulk when they're bad. And that's when we've taken a good gift that's God, that God has given to us and made it an ultimate gift. And C.S. Lewis is saying, uh, worship the giver of the gifts, not the gifts. So that's what he's saying. And uh, <clears throat> I recognize there are people in this room who probably, I say, you know, there's a lot of reasons not to have peace. But there are probably people in this room who would also say, um, I've got peace. I'm doing all right. I don't, I'm, nothing's really that bad. I mean, you know, my life's eating crazy. I've I'm not in depression. I'm not divorced. I'm not running through this or, or sitting in that. Uh, but here's what I want to, uh, to really clarify about what peace is and what peace isn't. Uh, peace isn't, um, well, there are counterfeit pieces. There's counterfeits of peace. So there are, there are things that look like peace, that feel like peace, that we pursue in order to, to get the experience of peace, but they don't last and they're not God-glorifying. So here's the, the one-liner that you can know if, if, one of your, uh, if what you're pursuing for peace is counterfeit or not. And it's this, um, counterfeit peace is not a fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians, Paul says uh, there are fruit of the Spirit. He says you can have fruit of the Spirit. The, the Spirit gives you these qualities that you have access to. He wants you to, to embody them. He wants you to live in them and to enjoy them. It's love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You have access to those as a Christian. Paul says that. But here's how you know if the peace you're pursuing is counterfeit is it undermines one of those other fruit. And so a cool part of the, the people will probably say this to you a lot is that fruit is not pluralized. It's, it's unified. Meaning you can't have peace without joy. You can't have love without gentleness. And so we're going to look at five different examples of counterfeits of peace uh, that, that we might pursue as peace and that we need to recognize in ourselves. I hope the Spirit would show you that's how I pursue peace. 
I don't pursue it by Jesus, by his scripture, by how we're going to talk about in the rest of this. I don't pursue peace. So uh, I'm going to use, we're going to sit in an allegory for a couple minutes. And I really need to put your imagination hats on here. Uh, imagine you leave here this morning. You get a phone call from your boss. And your boss says, hey, Mason, you are important. And we need to fly you overseas to an important city to do important things because you're important. And you say, finally, I've been waiting for this. The next morning you get up and you get on a plane and you see that the plane is, is rather small, but you're going to important places abroad and you, you fly 35,000 feet uh, above the water, you're above the Atlantic Ocean and you're sitting in, in, in 15F, you're on a window, you're looking out the right side of the plane and you hear, boom, engine explodes, uh-oh, boom, you hear, you hear that from your left, you see the light kind of streaming through the windows over on the, on the other side, it, it, if if you were assuming anything, the left engine has exploded. You, you're, you've entered into a crisis, right? So that's the crisis we're going to live in as we talk about these counterfeits of peace to help you recognize uh, some of the ways that you pursue peace that, uh, that just aren't true to, to Scripture. So the first one would be is uh, unrealism. Unrealism would be, would be this, sitting on a plane with engines that are on fire, you're above the Atlantic Ocean, it's, it would look like this. Um, that's not so bad. It'll, it'll probably turn out. Like, honestly, I mean, statistically, isn't it more likely that I'd like get eaten by a goat or something than die in a plane crash? It's probably not that bad. Unrealism is, is looking at uh, a situation and assuming the best with no uh, theological concept about it. So how many, if I sang to you, don't worry about a thing because, what would you say back? Somebody sing. Every little thing is what? Going to be all right. Who sang that? Bob Marley. Yes, our, our friend, the Rastafarian, who brought reggae music to the world. Bob Marley sang, don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right. That's unrealism. Do you know how Bob Marley died? This is morbid, but Bob Marley was, I think he was 38 at the time. He was, he was on tour, 38. He got cancer in his toe. Doctors say, Bob, you got to cancel the tour. Uh, we need to take care of this cancer in your toe. We need to, we need to rid you of this. Bob says, ah, I got to keep doing the tour. And I don't know that he ever quoted himself there, but we know what Bob Marley believed if he sang it. Everything's going to be fine. Nine months later, Bob Marley's cancer had gone from his toe to his lungs and his brain, and he died as a 39-year-old. That's unrealism. And a lot of us, this is, this is really dangerous in the Christian faith, is a lot of us will, will say, um, God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that? God will, God will never give you more than you can handle. And he says, it, Paul writes by, by the Spirit's power, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, you'll never be tempted beyond what you can bear. But you know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1? He says, God overwhelmed me so much. He gave me so much more than I could handle that I had to go like this and say, please do anything. And you know why he did that? He did that to show me that I'm dependent on God. So that's just faulty. That's prosperity gospel. It's, it's faulty theology. It's not true. We can't be unrealistic, brothers. We live in a world that is fallen and we, can't, we don't need to be depressed by that, but we can't pretend it's not true. We can't just say, well, you know, it, everything happens for a reason. It'll come around. No, the Lord is, is sovereign, yes, but you can't assume that because you're a believer that good things are going to happen to you. Those expectations are false. So that's one, unrealism. 
The next one would be escapism. Put yourself back on the plane. A lot of fire. Maybe the oxygen masks have dropped this point. You move it out of the way, and this is escapism. You, you thumb through that little pocket in front of you, and you pull out, and thank goodness for Sudoku. <laughs> you start filling out Sudoku. You're thinking about something else. And after you finish your Sudoku puzzle, you set that down. You pull out a magazine. And can you believe that vacuum costs $8,000? Crazy. Escapism is, is being amidst crisis, is being in the moment of, uh, of brokenness or in a season of it and taking your mind elsewhere. I can't face the truth of this. And you, you don't verbally, you don't, you don't say that consciously to yourself. But look at your actions. Are there places where you run I know for a fact there are dudes in this room with a, with a porn problem. And a lot of guys say, well, porn problem, lust, porn problem, lust. Here's what I would I'd suggest about your porn problem, maybe. This, is, this isn't everybody, but I'd imagine there's a guy in this room who's running to porn because you're running from something. I'd imagine you're going, and here's why. Because you can go look at boobs on a screen and be in control of what you feel. You can be in control of what you think about. You're trying to be God again. You're running, you're, you, can't, you can't face that music, but I, I can be in charge of this one. And honestly, nobody has to know about it. And this is, I mean, this is, these aren't all bad things, but this is what you can do with good things. This is what you can do with fantasy football, with TV, with apps on your phone. We are a distracted culture, aren't we? Why do you think we're distracted? Why do you think we're both equally distracted and incredibly anxious? Because we, we, are, we are escapists. We pursue peace by escaping. Third is control. Uh, we talked a lot about control. If you heard a, a pretty similar strand in guys saying why, why I lose peace is when things get out of my control. When things get out of my control. Some people, uh, because they have the power and the influence to, will, will lose control and what they do in response to pursue peace is double down on their control and say, no, I am in control. Put yourself back on the plane. What's that look like? It looks like buckling up your seatbelt and be like, I did what I could do. Bro, you're on a plane that's falling out of the air. Even more than that, it would look like unbuckling your seatbelt and excuse me, sorry, excuse me, walking up to the captain's quarters, knocking, saying, hey, fellas, there's an open seat back in, in 15F, but I'll, uh, I'll take it from here. You, you take a situation that doesn't feel like control and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm really probably the person to deal with this. I'm probably the person who can handle this. And maybe you've got giftings that allow you to lead well. That's not what I'm getting at. But there are people in this room who will, who will uh, in moments where peace is, is gone, they will double down on their control. And again, if you're thinking in the fruit of the spirit, why isn't that real peace? Because it lacks self-control. You're just doing everything you can. You're hustling all around. You're making sure everything's taken care of. You're running yourself dry, pursuing control. Fourth is comparison. Uh, comparison sitting on a plane would look like this. So oxygen masks have dropped. You're down at 18,000 feet. You guys are really plummeting. Uh, this lady up in, in, in row 14 is, is not being cool. She is pff, screaming. She's, she's hysterical. She's puking. Oh my, she's puking. That's gross. Guy in front of me, he's wailing. He's crying. And you look at those people and say, well, at least I'm not them. Because I'm not losing my mind over it. That would be, that would be shameful. At least, I'm not them. At least I'm not that person. And honestly, guys, I think, and I don't want to convince you all for a second that I'm talking about these things because I've never done them. 
All of these counterfeits of peace are things that I've pursued. I think many of us, sadly, come in this room on Thursday mornings and sit at round tables and probably find peace through saying this, at least my divorce isn't that bad. At least I'm not him. At least I didn't do that. At least I don't, you know, at least I, at least I got a savings account. At least my kids are in school. Compare, compare, compare. And why is that not real peace? Why is that counterfeit peace? Because it's not loving. You're devaluing people when you compare yourself to them. And this isn't like the competitive, I want to be my best. This is the, I find peace because he's not as good as I, as I am. And thank goodness, because if he were, I'd have to find somebody else less than me. That's, that's not true peace because it's not loving. You're sacrificing love for the sake of peace. Last uh, counterfeit of peace that uh, unfortunately a lot of us pursue is, is apathy. So at this point, the plane is, is really falling 12,000 feet above the water, 10,000 feet, 9,000 feet. You're falling fast. Captain's come on and said, ah, brace for landing. And you've said, what's it matter anyways? Who, who gives? I tried. I gave, my, I gave my best, but honestly, you throw in the towel. Apathy, apathy is... Uh, it's a result of a calloused heart. And I, I imagine a lot of us uh, pursue peace through apathy because we've tried for a really, really, really long time to get out of whatever we're in. A really long time. We've, we've maybe even begged God, will you take this away? Will you fix this? Will you grow this? Will you take care of this? And he hasn't in the way that we've thought. And finally we say, you know what, what's it worth anyways? We throw in the towel. Apathy is counterfeit peace. And here's, here's why it's counterfeit is because uh, it's hopeless. And hopelessness is the opposite of joy. And therefore you're forfeiting joy for the sake of peace and it's not real peace. But it's, it's comforting to say to ourselves sometimes, at least I can prepare myself for the worst. Like cynicism and apathy aren't all that different. If you're a cynical guy and you're kind of proud of that, like I am, we need to, you and I need to check our hearts at the door and say, why am I cynical? Because I'm, I'm pursuing counterfeit peace by protecting myself from uh, what could go wrong. And that's really dangerous. So those are the five counterfeits of peace. And, and you, you'll need to talk to them, uh, talk about them at your table. But I'd really, uh, and that's not a comprehensive list by, by any means. There are plenty of, of counterfeits of peace that we pursue in, in sex, in drinking, in drugs. There are a lot of counterfeits of peace that we pursue that I, that I haven't mentioned, but I, those are some of the dispositional ones that I'd really ask you to look into your soul and say, guys, is that me? Am I apathetic because I'm, I'm trying to be, to pursue fake peace? Am I trying to find peace through control, through comparison? So that'd be my encouragement. Let's keep reading. Verse five says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the reasonableness, yours, yours might have translated that as gentleness. Uh, what's, what's he say right at the end of verse five is, <clears throat> the Lord is at hand. So he's saying, when crisis hits, what are you tempted to do? You're tempted to build a house of mirrors and to take care of me, myself, and I. When, when, when the stuff hits the fan, where are you tempted to run? You're, you want to take care of yourself. That's just, na that's just natural human selfishness. But what, what Paul says is be considerate. 
Be gentle. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. And this is a, this is a promise that's threaded all throughout Scripture. In, in Psalm 23, in Isaiah 43, in, in uh, Deuteronomy 29, in Joshua, the, the presence of God brings peace. The presence of God is what brings peace. And Paul says, don't lose it. God's here. Think about the presence of God. God is here. The presence of God is what is going to bring you peace. He goes on and then says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So again, Paul's saying no excuses, fellas. We've got nothing to be anxious about. And that can feel a little bit indicting at times. It's like, well, I'm trying to have peace. I, I really, I mean, this morning, I was praying backstage. God, I, I want to have peace. And then what's he say? He, he gives you two specific commands. He says, first, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Or by, by prayer and petition is what some of your, your, uh, your versions might say. In 1 Peter 5, uh, it says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. Here's what God wants out of you when you lack peace. He wants you to bring it to him. He wants to, he, he knows, but he wants you to tell him, God, I don't have peace. God, I, I'm not all right. He wants you to know that. Why? Because he's going to shove it in your face. No, he's not going to shove it in your face. First, First Peter 5 says, because he cares for you. If you're married, you, your wife wants to know about you because she cares for you. You want to know about your kids because they, you care for them. You want to know about people because you care for them. God wants you to, to tell him, I'm not okay because he cares for you. But there's these two words that are the crux of this passage. It's with thanksgiving. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what that might be is like, yeah, God, here's what I need. Uh, if you'd really help me with this, but also thank you for my job and my wife and, um, and these three things. Thank you, God. Please give me those other things. It could be that. But what I think Paul's saying here is look down at verse 19. <clears throat> Philippians 4.19. Paul writes this 15 verses later. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I think Paul's saying that your thanksgiving is that when you come to God with your crazy circumstances, with the things that are stealing your peace, when you come to him and say, I'm giving you these, that you're not only supposed to give them him, that you're supposed to thank him for giving you all you need. Isn't that, isn't that a strange paradigm? You're asking God for what you think you need, but then you thank him for giving you what he needs. And this is what that is. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ is our ultimate need. It's our ultimate need. Above anything else, above food and above water and above shelter, our ultimate need is, is for us to be restored to God, for our sins to be forgiven, for our brokenness to be healed, for our relationship with our Father to be restored. And Jesus accomplished that on the cross when he died and was resurrected. And so Paul's saying the crux of your peace exists in knowing that the gift of God's gospel is, is the ultimate grace that we'll ever receive. The, the peace that you long for is not accessible without the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying any situation, and this is where you can change your prayers um, or you can add to your prayers. God, would you do this for me? God, would you change this? Would you, would you, would you ask, ask, ask? But then also add I would suggest to switch 
And even if you don't, would you do this in me? Rather than would you do this for me, would you do this in me? Would you show me your grace? Would you, would you reveal to me the actual importance of, of your gospel? Would you help me kill these idols that are threatening to be my ultimate aim and help me see your gospel as that? That's what Paul is suggesting here. And he says in response to that, <clears throat> that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that's not a counterfeit of peace, right? It's the peace of God. And what's fun about this type of peace is that it surpasses all understanding. So these are the type of people you see when, when their situations go awry, when they get the phone call, when they, they lose the job, when they, they get the news they never wanted. Somehow they, they, they have peace. It's beyond our comprehension of how they could have that type of peace. Don't you want to be that way? I do. I want to I be so... <clears throat> steadfast, not by my own power. I want to trust God so much that no matter what's thrown at me, I trust him. And he wants that from you. That's the cool part is this isn't just hoping for a God who's there. He's, he's beckoning us to that. He's calling us away from our idols. He's saying, this is, this is my peace. And you, it's so good, you can't even understand it. And then he says it'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And what's cool, a little fun part there is uh, the, the Greek there is it literally means to stand sentry guard. It's a militaristic term. It's a term uh, that can, if you walk back to us saying Satan is attacking your peace, God's saying, I'm going to give you walls to take those attacks. I'm going to give you defense to deal with those attacks. Finally, Paul says uh, <clears throat> in 8 and 9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. So what's Paul finishing with here? He's saying, he's saying, fix your eyes. If there's anything good, if there's anything commendable, commendable if it's worthy of praise, what is that? It's God. It's his gospel. It's his grace. If there are any good things, think about these. And what have you seen in me, Paul says. Remember in Acts 16, he came to them. He shared the gospel, was put in prison. And then with joy left the city, knowing that he had brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's imprisoned again. What have they seen in him? They've seen a selfless pursuit of the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, look at the gospel and, and practice the gospel. Do be the gospel. Uh, Jesus talks about this in Luke 10. Uh, Martha and Mary, Jesus has come to town. Martha and Mary uh, are with him. And, and it says that Martha is, is distracted with much serving. And she went to the Lord and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Mar Martha's running around the house taking care of everything. And Mary's laying at Jesus' feet having her quiet time. God, tell her to help out. I'm getting stuff done. And Jesus says, <clears throat> he uses the same word for anxious that's used right there in Philippians, which means to be, to be broken to pieces. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So he's saying the same thing as Paul there. He's saying, you're broken up. And he's even saying, Martha, you're thinking about a ton of things. I'm one of them. That's nice, Martha. But until I'm the thing, until I'm the thing, Martha, one thing, if your focus is not totally on me, you're not going to have peace. You're going to be anxious. You're going to be torn to pieces. 
So I'll finish with this and I'll, I'll get out of your hair. <clears throat> a lot of you guys know the story of Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was a businessman in the 19th century in Chicago. He, he lost a young son uh, and then in the Chicago fire, lost a lot of his business. And, and so he was sending his family to Europe. He was actually headed with them, had some, some traveling issues, stayed behind. He sends his wife and his four daughters on a boat to England. On their way, uh, their boat crashes, was capsized, and all four of his daughters passed away. All four of his daughters. It was devastating. Uh, his wife makes it safe, is rescued, and sends him a message with two words. It said, saved alone. And so, so he, he had heard the news of the wreck, and he, he got on a boat to go see his wife. And when he uh, was near the area where all four of his daughters had drowned, he wrote a, a hymn called, It Is Well. Uh, you might be familiar with that hymn. I'm going to read a verse of it. Horatio wrote this while looking upon the most devastating moments of his life. It says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So he sets up the paradigm. When, when life's good and when, when life is this mess that I don't know how to explain. The dichotomy that exists there. When peace, when peace comes to me naturally, and when I don't know if you're there or not, here's what I know. Here's where I fix my eyes. Whatever my lot, you've taught me to know this, God. It's well with my soul. And what he's saying there is, I'm doing okay. He's not saying that. He's saying, I have my eternity secure. My ultimate hope and peace and joy are found in Jesus no matter my circumstances. So that'd be my prayer that the Spirit would rise up in you a longing for peace. That he would show you what you have access to uh, if you're a believer. And that if you're not a believer, that he would show you what you have access, what you can have access to if you would trust him. And I'd beg you to do it. Here are the questions uh, I'll send you to your tables with. Table leaders, I'd, I'd encourage you to answer first this week. First, what steals your peace? What steals your peace? Uh, that can be some of the things I mentioned. That can be some of the things you've already thought of on your own. What steals your peace? Next, what are some of the counterfeits of peace that you pursue? What are some of those, those five or maybe some other counterfeits of peace that you pursue in order to feel okay? In order to be all right for a little while? And then I want to give you a, a question for yourself. I wouldn't answer this at your tables because I think it's going to take more time. I'd maybe write this down. It's in your guide. <clears throat> there's a challenge at the bottom of your guide every week. And the challenge this week would be, ask yourself your what ifs. What are your greatest fears? My greatest fears are, are, are of, of doubt, of failure, of being, of being <clears throat> exposed, of being uh, not, who I, who, not who God has called me to be, but somebody different. What are your greatest fears? Follow those all the way to the end. Say, what if? What if this happened? Well, then that would happen. Then that would happen. Follow your what ifs all the way to the end and say, even if the worst thing happened, is God still good? And here's the thing. The answer is yes. The question is whether you and I believe it or not. And I know for a fact that there are, there are something in the way of each and every one of us believing the absolute truth of God is good no matter what. So I pray uh, that, you, that you would do that this week. And I'll pray now and we can head to tables. Lord, Thank you for peace. Thank you, Spirit, for, uh, for wanting us to have peace. Thank you for um, showing us 
how to pursue it, um, but also thank you for obtaining it for us, Jesus, on the cross. Thank you for doing whatever it took so that we might be in relationship with you. Um, I pray that as we head to tables, that you would convict in our hearts the counterfeits of peace that we pursue, but that you would also show us the truth and the joy and the peace and the grace uh, that comes with knowing who you actually are and knowing what you've called us to. We need you, Spirit, uh, to guide our conversations around our tables, and we need you, Spirit, to, to show us who we are, to show us what our sins are, and to show us the truth of the gospel uh, in response to that. We need you. Uh, I'd, love, <clears throat> I'd love for you uh, to show us that grace this morning. So we ask you to do it. Chill in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.